0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Media Voices podcast. I'm Esther Thorpe, and you're listening to the third episode of a four-part series looking at future-proofing local news, supported by the Google News Initiative. Over this series, we've been talking to some of the publishers working to find resilient business models. We've looked at how they've evolved company culture and practice to do this, and what tools and trends they're working with to prepare for the next decade. The first episode explored the historical context around local news, shifts in the UK and European markets and what good local news might look like. The second episode looked at which business models will help local news publishers thrive in the coming years. This episode, we're diving into company, culture, practice, and transformation. We're gonna look at this in three parts, internal transformation of culture, tools, and tech, the evolution of relationships with audiences and to others externally, and what needs to change more widely in terms of training in the media industry more generally to support local news in the future. Last episode, we heard from a number of local news publishers about how focus was shifting from scale to an audience's first approach, which often involves looking at reader revenue or other ways of bringing in money other than digital advertising. Whichever models are being tweaked or overhauled, there will be things staff at all levels in an organisation will need to adapt to in order for it to be a success. Doug Smith is the lead architect at Table Stakes, a programme for local and regional news organisations to help them drive digital revenue growth by refocusing on audiences. Changing company culture is something they help organizations do on a regular basis. And he advises getting the goals clear first.
1: So when we start uh, the journey with a desk or a few people in a newsroom or whatever, uh, the journey starts with setting very clear what we call outcome goals, not activity goals. So it's not about going and having everybody be trained on, on Instagram. No, if, if it's Instagram is part of it, it's increasing the traffic that comes to your site from Instagram by 10% over the next six weeks. That's an outcome-based goal. This is crucial because the practices and the culture in the newsroom do have to change. They have to change to be audiences first, and within that, digital first, print later and better. That's a core, core direction uh, of mindset and strategy and practice that has to shift. And there's the seven table stakes and all kinds of other things involved in that. The way it happens, though, is through setting concrete goals and then doing what's necessary to achieve those goals, not going to training sessions, not defining the culture that we want. Culture changes When you focus on performance results and do the things necessary to achieve them, all of a sudden you have culture change. There are way too many groups that try to change the culture by talking about culture change. It it doesn't work.
0: We asked Doug from his experience helping many publishers in this way what will set organizations up for success internally if they're looking to build a sustainable local news model?
1: Seriously adopting the audience's first approach and sustaining the effort against building that approach with an eye on specific goals. I slipped in three things, but that that would be the uh, way I would would answer it. It, You know, my goodness, it took 10, 15 years for journalism to fall into the soup. So it's not going to take a year to get out of it. All right. Having said that, in the world of the incredible chaotic and dynamic world in which we live, and again, I've worked in more than five dozen different industries and fields, broadly speaking, we come out of an inheritance of management that has a deep, deep, deep affection for and belief in the power of decisions. The problem arises when decisions are not enough. New decisions, new ideas do not implement themselves. People implement them. And those people are already employed typically in the organizations where these decisions are made. Many of these decisions can only be implemented through new skills, new behaviors, new ways of working together. That means people have to change and have to take risks of change. And where do they have to do it in the organizations where they work and what's on the line their jobs, what are jobs in the 21st century livelihoods so decisions in a highly stable world, for example, I'm assuming you're familiar your audience might be familiar with what were called zoned additions in newspapers, you have a city newspaper and they have four suburbs areas. And so they decide a zoned edition for each suburb will have a section about that suburb. That is a classic example of decision-driven change. It's a change, we're gonna have four suburban editions, but we know how to do everything with regard to that. And the existing people we rely on once we make the hard decision, know how to implement it. Oh, okay, big decision we're gonna go audiences first. Okay, what does that mean for me and my job? That's not zoned editions. And, and you can contrast that, the zoned edition kind of thing with the audiences first kind of thing across the news media, but you can also uh, uh, do it with respect to so many other industries and fields in our lives where because of all the chaos and dynamism uh, uh, the technology stuff, the deregulation, re regulation, migrant stuff, the wars, uh, you know, whatever it might be, trying to maintain going forward as an enterprise in today's world often includes making decisions about things we don't know how to do. And that takes a different kind of persistence and approach if you're going to be successful at it.
2: We
0: touched last episode on some of the changes that Dundee-based publisher DC Thompson had undergone across its regional titles. Special Projects Editor Cheryl Livingston gives some background on the origins of that digital transformation process, as well as some of the things that didn't go right initially.
3: Process is something that we, as a as an industry and a, and a, and a business, were not actually that great at, at having and capturing. You know, we kind of did all these things, and we probably did say that we experimented and we we did change and things like that, but it was never formalized and I think like some of the issues that came from that was that no one was on the same page um and we never you know nothing was ever kind of shown how it worked you know we didn't have um what we were um setting out to do you know we were kind of going to do something you know without really like it was kind of more activity than outcome um and so all of that stuff kind of you know I think the kind of this everyone's got a kind of natural thing of change being a bit scary so I think everyone went into it with a bit of what does this mean you know what um what's it going to do to my role how's it going to you know you know you're being asked to kind of let go of sometimes years sometimes decades of ways of working um and then doing this brand new kind of um thing but for me the the thing that's that we've had success at, and I think it's something that we need to kind of concentrate on more going forward is that while it's a digital transformation and we're changing as you say all these things it is a people transformation at the end of the day and those people need to be confident they need to be empowered they need to understand what their role is not kind of the wider business but also in the wider industry something that I'm you know really keen to kind of as part of my role is to is to really let people know that they can have opinions and they can have a voice, whatever stage of their career they're at. So, you know, f- for example, for myself, I am not an editor. I don't have. I'm not head of a department. I don't have any staff. I don't have- I'm not a line manager to anyone, which were traditionally kind of signals of you are, um, you know, have authority and you're a decision maker and you're a leader. But I personally feel like I don't need any of those things to be a leader, to have influence. I feel like I can go and make decisions. I can try things. Um, and I've been lucky that I've personally had a very good mentor and boss over the last three years who has created an environment where I can actually feel it's a safe environment. It's not a, you know, stay still environment. It's a very, you know, it can be challenging, but I feel very like I can make decisions I don't have to go and run it past him I can I can try something but I'm not I'm not sure how it'll if it'll work but I'm testing something and um, so everything's a lesson you know everything we're learning from and I think that's at the core what what's been successful so far for those um who have kind of work in that sort of environment um but then we need to do more of because there are some people where it's not unfortunately it's not a one-size-fits-all like what's worked for me won't work for others so it's about trying to understand what will make people feel confident? What will make them flourish? And what will make them, you know, take some ownership and some responsibility? F- which, you know, for the kind of the local news landscape and, and what we're trying to do, and, and for the audience. So, um, so, this, so as I say, the process has helped with that because then they can come into it with a little bit of a kind of security and a comfort, and they know, you know, what stages they're going to be going through there's a lot more honest conversations at the beginning i think you know a lot of times before we went into stuff and didn't really recognize what this meant you know we didn't say this is scary this is something new this might not work we didn't say that we've got a lot of other work on you know how are we going to manage how are we going to prioritize so now we have our processes that we have set up within the work that i do especially but across the newsroom we have all those conversations to begin with so i think that's really helped people know what they're going into it doesn't feel quite as scary and they're able to then know you know if it doesn't goal to plan this is what will happen and and things like that so um yeah there's lots of lots of different things that have have helped with that
0: one crucial part of getting digital transformation projects like this right and truly changing focus is bringing the right people into the business emily hewitt joined dc thompson as head of audience development in august 2022 and brought in some audience development specialists to help everyone understand the data
4: so i've been in the business for 12 months now and they've had what we call data dashboards for the past two years and they are available to everyone but what I'm trying to address is yes data is available but do people know how to use it how to find the data that they need and up until I joined it was very much a self-service operation and I have brought in a couple of audience development specialists who now work closely with the data team to ensure that the newsrooms are asking the right questions of the data and then packaging that in a way that is understandable for editors, team leaders, but also the the journalists themselves.
0: Emily's priority when she joined was getting everyone on board with the new approaches and getting them to spend time on things that matter and have a tangible impact on the business. That sometimes can lead to some difficult conversations.
4: What I am here to do with my audience team is to really package all of that stuff up into a deck. We meet with each team on a monthly basis. Um, So that would be our court and crime team or our features team, the city team that we have in Aberdeen, whoever that may be, we'll meet with them, take all of the insight we've got from newsletters, social media, SEO, we'll look at the data, what's going on with your content, how much content have you produced, what have you produced, what format were those articles in, what topic tags did you use, And we will create maybe a 20 slide deck and then go through that in a conversation around what should we stop doing? What should we focus more on? Um, So these guys are being given data, but it's very much in an actionable way. So they can then go away and just give the readers more of what they want and actually they find that very valuable to be able to have a conversation. We share the deck before we meet, and then we just get a number of people in the, in the call to sort of discuss what we're going to do next month, how are things going to change? And sometimes it will be reinforcing their thinking, and sometimes there will be some some new bits there for them to think about. But yes, it's additional, I suppose, to the, the usual day-to-day, but a journalist wants their content to be read by as many people as possible, and, and we're there to to reinforce the good behavior, I suppose, and just try and remove some of that underperforming content, which might not be the best way in which they should spend their time. And we do actually, you know, really trying to get rid of the underperforming content and having conversations about, you know, I really feel passionately about this story, but people aren't reading it. So how can we, what can we do to try and make that work? First of all, And then at what point do we say, this still isn't working and we've explored all avenues? They're difficult conversations, but once you start seeing the results come through in the the data, we are seeing that the conversations are, are shifting a bit.
0: Craig Walker, editor of the Press and Journal and Evening Express at DC Thompson, explains that it's been a big change for staff, but a journey they are all on together.
5: Everyone's different. Everyone copes with change in a, in a different way, don't they? Um, I think, you know, we first began this process within the newsroom May 2021 and um, was when things really cranked up. Um, and we went, you know, went through significant training in the, in the team to look at different ways of telling their stories. Um, and some absolutely grabbed that opportunity and, and pushed on with it. Um, others, you know, carried out the training, but were a little bit more sceptical. And whatnot, But I think on the whole, um, it's been really pleasing to see how journalists, both with relatively inexperienced and ones that have got lots and lots of experience, have grasped the opportunity. And that might not be every day that, they, that they're doing that, but it might be just certain projects or certain stories that they're continuing to develop and do things in different ways. So I think the big difference for me with digital is it's a continual learning process. And I would class myself in that as well. I learned a lot of the a lot about digital journalism and the, what's going on around the world alongside our teams as well. We're all on the same journey together.
0: Going digital first means being open to constant change and learning and patches where that will accelerate and slow down. Cheryl says that this requires a mindset change and a willingness to learn.
3: I, I've been very clear from the beginning that transformation, you don't do it once. You don't, you don't do it once and that's your step for life. That is that constant iteration. I mean, obviously when, uh, when lockdown happened and COVID happened and all these things, it did accelerate, um, a lot of the changes that were already planned. You know, I think this has been something that's, um, we talk about the three years, but I think it's, it's been talked about for probably at least five and has been planned for probably a good five. Um, so that did accelerate it in terms of having to kind of move with, you know, the audience changing and things like that. Um, but we're, we're st- even three years in, we're still in very early days. There's still lots to learn, lots of opportunities out there. Um, and I think that's part of the thing that's a mindset thing as well is people think I've changed jobs. I do something different. That's me done. <laughs> and it's like, yes, but we're, as you kind of pointed out, we're audience first. So where the audience wants to go, where the audience is, who the audience is, or what potential audience is out there, we need to move with that. So um, it, probably never, I always think of it as kind of like an old house, you know, like you, you fix everything and by the time you get around to the beginning again, and you're kind of start again it's sort of a bit like that you know it's never and I personally really like that because I like constantly evolving and, and finding new things to learn and all these kind of stuff but that's something that you kind of have to get your head around if you're not a fan of that kind of of that kind of thing.
0: Constant change and evolution isn't easy and it requires good communication from everyone involved. Emily says that being clear on where people can go for help and advice can really make a difference.
4: It is challenging and it's you know, everything is consistently evolving. And we get a lot of, well, but six months ago, you told us to do this. And when so and so was here, they told us to do this. And just kind of, I guess, getting everybody comfortable with things are changing, and will probably change again soon, is really, really key. And I think, you know, everybody says it, but it's all down to communication. Often, you might hear conversations, well, what do you actually do? I don't understand this person doesn't have bylines on our website so what, what are they doing all day they're not visible etc and just being really clear with how we can help and who's doing what and where to go to for advice and if you're unsure I say this on repeat you know I'd rather someone ask the question 20 times than think they know what to do or maybe they feel that they're too senior to say do you know what I don't understand what what a topic tag is like you know please can you explain again so just constantly being open and listening and we do sort of surveys and things to ask how people feel like how people think things are going what impact do they think they're having and yeah just being visible I suppose and communicating successes.
0: For some smaller publishers simple hiring choices can make a big difference to the work they're able to do. Community interest company Social Spiders managing director David Floyd noted that hiring a commercial person changed the game for them.
6: From our point of view, we've gone from, we're generating treble the income from our newspapers that we were when we we hired our first full-time advertising salesperson. (laughs) We now have a a growing team. We've got two full-time advertising salespeople. And and, and the the difference that makes, and I, I think in terms of that leap from person operating at their bedroom or kitchen table to small professional operation having someone professional on the commercial side who really knows what they're doing makes an amazing difference and certainly if it is once again an argument for some of the subsidy funding that's gone into local news you know at some points you really need to be aimed at things which don't seem so exciting but are very important having actually employees to work on the commercial side within organisations, and that's not funding some consultancy. You know, no. Small local news publications don't need someone being paid 10 grand to write their a marketing report, but they you know, they do need funding of 25, 30 grand to employ someone on the commercial side, and you know, that can definitely make a massive difference because what you can do then is you're able to get a picture of, what is possible in any given market.
0: Internal transformation is just one part of the puzzle when it comes to future proofing local news organisations. External transformation is another crucial part. We've heard the phrase audiences first come up in the last two episodes. But what does that actually mean in practice? For DC Thompson's group features editor for news, Jane Sava, it is important to actually send reporters out into their communities, as she explains.
7: Hugely important for the, for the writers to be and reporters to be living and working in their patch. Um, I think the courier's uh, tagline is, you know, um, if you want to know what's going on, ask a local. So our reporters are local. We have area uh, editors across the different patches. Obviously, you've got Regional papers are additionalised for the regions, that, the localities that they serve. And actually this ultra-local thing is really important, um, even drilling down on the smaller communities that we serve. So you've got somebody in Perth, um, Fife. They are there, they are front and centre. Um, people get to know them. It's building that brand. This is the person that you can come to if you have a story. Write down, you know, it's that real kind of reporter on a beat type thing. So I think it's really important that our feature writers and our, our reporters are actually ensconced in the communities that they that they are serving.
0: Press and Journal editor Craig Walker agrees, and also points out that audiences have got some learning to do as well when it comes to making local news sustainable, and that is going to take some time to get right.
5: One big aspect is that I spoke about our teams learning and and you know being educated. I think. Um, The audience is going through an education process as well. I think for so long, journalism online has been free, and that's a big uh, a big change for people. You see that predominantly through through the social audience. You know when people um, people see that and, and and think, why have I got to pay for this? You know, obviously the argument is you don't walk into your supermarket and just pick up a paper and walk away to you. So from that point of view, so that's that's a continual challenge and one that you know you hope over time that. That you can turn some people around, some people you just won't be able to, um, from that point of view. So yeah, as I say, that's going to take time, but we've already seen, you know, real positive inroads in that already. There's basic things that we have in terms of how we respond to it, to people who, who query that. So yeah, we have discussions around that quite a lot as to how we sell sell the, the subscription package. But I think it's about pushing value, you know, and trying to highlight just how valuable our journalism is and that it comes at a cost our stories that we are creating should be on the whole unique, but absolutely engaging. You know, that's a challenge that we give our journalists is that we come to us and, of course, you know, some of the stories you'll see you can get elsewhere. But if that's the case, we should be adding depth to it. We should be giving something different. But the majority of our content should be something that you can't can't get elsewhere. So that's that's our big selling point. And obviously local, we are absolutely local. That's what we're all about. We have been for, this is the Press and Journal's, um, 275th year, and we've been local since since day one, and that's you know that's going to be the future for us as well.
0: Nicola Negrin, editor in chief of Italian news publisher Gennal De Vincenza, takes a slightly different approach to convincing staff who aren't on board. I'll let him explain.
8: For this, I want to create like content, vertical content, because um, I know that uh, uh, the guy that are always in smartphone, they look to video. And I also are, uh, they, they want to be informed, but in their way, they want to learn the things. And we have to do this change for me. We we are we, we, uh, work in a way because uh, uh, it's always in this way that we work, but now we have to change if we want to create, if we want to live. It's uh, um, a longer process for me. I learned from Doug this and that uh, you don't have to convince the people that are against the, the, the something. You have to work with the people that are pro, one people for one people, one people, one people, and then the men or the, the women that was against the process see that, uh, that you're going to work in a way and you, uh, you have, you have results and it will change. And I see this, I saw this. Um, a colleague was, was uh, not, not social, not, not Facebook, not Instagram. And started to, to, to record the podcast with me and three us. And, and her now is <laughs> only on social. <laughs> I think this is important, uh, important way. There are people that are 59 years old or 17 years old and they are looking for the, the end of the world <laughs> because in three or four years maybe they finished and so maybe it's not so easy with them. But in our, in our newspaper we are young, uh, I'm 37, I'm the the second younger. Then there are another 30, 30, 34, 40, 41, 42 mm-hmm. and there are also people 15. but. I, could, I think that uh, for us it's a big, a big opportunity. Uh, for our new paper, then they add the Verona, Mantova, and we have to, to work together. It's, it's the not so easy, also, this.
0: French local news sites Roy Caterineux Strasbourg have decided to fund a media literacy project, or what they call an anti media literacy project, via any funding they can get their hands on. They see this as a vital part of how people see their own work as co-founder Pierre France explains.
9: What is a journalist doing, actually? Because in these neighbourhoods, uh, people often uh, place journalists with uh, a world uh, that doesn't belong uh, with them, or like the police, the justice, the authorities in uh, in a wider acceptation. So uh, they place the journalist in this world they don't see the journalist as someone being able to uh, help them somehow. Because often when they see a journalist, it is uh, alongside policemen or uh, firemen or uh, or political uh, elected officials. They rarely see a journalist who doesn't have something to ask them. So that's why we try. That's the, the, the entire uh, goal of this operation is to reverse that. When we come to them, we don't have anything to ask. Uh, we we come completely virgin of any intention, and we ask only one thing: tell us what what is your life. So, the disposition is so awkward that it needs a lot of time before it can produce any news. This is a democracy uh, operation. It is a uh, 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 because uh, it's very unwise and unnatural to think that uh, uh, it is normal that people think journalists are part of the system. Uh, journalists are watchdogs of the system and uh, uh, if people think journalists are part of the system, they won't go to journalists uh, to to report an issue and it's not how, uh, how it is supposed to work. So uh, it is essential uh, because once they see that their issue can be voiced and ca- and they ha- can have an impact on their daily life, well, they start thinking that the system is not, is not against that, but that they can have uh, uh, some kind of effect. And they're starting to see every other aspect of the democratic life uh, differently. So uh, I really think it's essential. And it's core uh, in our democratic uh, system to, to to work on that.
0: The idea of community has come up a few times across these conversations. The idea that local news organisations need to be present in their local areas feeds into this, as does the potential for news brands to bring people in a local area together. The Public Interest News Foundation's Jonathan Hewood highlights some examples of newsrooms doing this well and where the opportunities are.
10: It's not so much the common thread; it's about relationships. We want people that we can, that we know and trust. People love the idea of having newsrooms that are present in the area. So, what Rhiannon Davies is doing in Gwynedd Hill with her community newsroom, I think, is a brilliant example. They've just they've they've taken over a small space just off the high street. Anyone can drop in. They use it for co-working, they use it for events. It actually is a revenue generator for the organisation and it does fantastic work about building trust and visibility. So I think people are crying out for innovations like that. I think there is a general sense people would like, they don't use, use the term, but I think what they're talking about is solutions journalism. They do not like to see their area constantly put in a bad light and it's all about kind of crime and traffic accidents. People feel like that. Just okay. It's maybe it's all true, and maybe those stories need to be in the mix. But is it the only thing to have in the mix? You know, it's like having a cake that's only made with sort of salt or something. It's like (laughs) it's like where's the sugar? You know, where's 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 the butter? Where are the eggs? Where are all the nice ingredients as well that that, you know that go to make up the sense of of having some place that you might be proud proud of? So I I think yes, it's not an absolute formula. I don't think you can just say okay. It's this length of story. It's, it's, this is how you structure the lead. This is, this is what the... It's not that. It's about... And I think it's going to vary as well, place to place, because places are different. You know, not just England, Scotland, but, you know, within Scotland, there's a million different local areas with different characteristics. So I think, again, it comes back to this point about it really is about having human beings on the ground who build up trust, who know what the community is interested in, and I, I sometimes maybe prepared to challenge the community as well. But I don't think it's all about so sort of happy clappy. I think what um, what the Manchester Mill does is um, sometimes it takes on some of the sacred cows of Manchester and challenges them in a, in a in a in a in a way that they've done it in a way where they've clearly built up the trust and the street cred that they've got a license to do that. They're not doing it as outsiders. They're doing it as insiders speaking with the community, not outsiders speaking at. I think that's the crucial difference.
0: DC Thompson's Jane Sava says that post-pandemic, communities are more important than ever. There's huge potential there for local publishers to take advantage of this and be the ones bringing people together.
7: It's back to that, the human
0: element, putting a person front and centre, um, rather than
7: an expert even having local voices um, talking about the bigger issues, whether it's the you know traffic, chaos or it, you know whatever it might be, but just People don't always want to hear from counsellors and and they want to hear from people like themselves saying things that they are thinking. So that feeling of being part of the conversation a community, again, I keep going back to that word community, is is more important now than ever, I think. People are spending more time in their local communities than they used to because they're not commuting anymore. They are spending more time even just in the afternoons, perhaps going out for coffee. Their pastimes um, are focused more on local so I think communities become even more important and dare I see it, the lockdown might even have been quite beneficial and for, for local papers um, because we are spending more time and we, we perhaps care more about what's going on in our local communities than ever before.
0: Changing internal and external culture is something publishers can work on themselves, but some of our experts made the point that there are wider cultural changes the industry needs to make in order to support local news, and indeed the wider news industry in the future. The Public Interest News Foundation's core aim is to build the capacity of independent news providers and improve public understanding of their work. Executive Director Jonathan Hewood says that in the UK, we need changes at the training level to prepare people to work in constantly evolving businesses.
10: I think we need a massive revolution in how we think about journalism training. I think and we, we, we've talked to the NCTJ and others about this. I think it's, it's, it's gonna be hard because there's a lot of institutional legacy baggage that's built up over the years, all those different courses at different universities around the UK. There's a lot of investment in a certain model of training. I think there's also a huge problem in the idea that you've got everything you need to know after like a one-year MA. I mean, there's, a, there's also a huge problem, obviously, in the fact that to get that one-year MA, you've got to sink yourself 20, 30, pounds £30,000 in debt, which then limits who, who is a journalist. Um, but I think the idea that you should be able to, I think, dip into bits of training, professional development throughout your career as a journalist. We're going to see people coming into journalism in later life. Lots of the people we work with haven't actually got a journalism background. They've got more of a kind of community organising background then they think journalism is a really necessary part of the puzzle but they don't necessarily have all the right skills and experience and some of that is always going to be the same it's about understanding contempt of court and you know the basic legal stuff but a lot of it is really different from what it was 20 years ago and i think also there's a big entrepreneurial component if you're actually going to be in a small organization whether or not you're running it maybe you're part of a team of five or six but you're going to be carrying responsibility for the success of the organization you can't do the old sort of church and state sort of thing oh i'm a journalist i don't worry about commercial in fact i hate commercial and i'm going to work against them you know you've got to work out how those two work together in a a symbiosis and who's who's teaching that at the moment so that i mean that's partly again why we're doing that kind of networking stuff is to get people learning from each other and say okay yeah i had that issue with my advertisers but this is how i resolved it oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I had this issue with the with the tech, but this is how I resolved it. But we'd love to be able to put that on a slightly more structured basis and maybe have a series of modules that people could dip into, get certificates, have a sense of like, this is a profession and we should treat it like that.
0: Professor Dr. Vibke Moving, Professor of Journalism at Theo Dortmund Institute for Journalism, says that in her experience, teaching of the business side of journalism is lacking, but she points out that students are very keen to learn.
2: We could do more effort into the business part in Dortmund. We we try to do it with like um, let the students um, be part of ideas of entrepreneurial journalism and and how to how to develop new ideas. But I would say at, in the in the journalism educational in the in the academic institutions we we get more and more effort in that the students are getting used uh, with the question how can i get this information in a proper way through different channels like what sources do i need if i want to do it maybe on a video content and how can i do the same the same information then can be used for for audio or for for a digital way or for social media content, and which channel has which which implications of the distribution and and of the uh, production of the content so that they get, get used to the content first. We try to implement content as first. And the second is how to, to distribute and how to, to produce this content in different ways. And not only different ways, thinking in different ways with different um, the different people they reach over the channels.
0: She also notes that for already qualified journalists, publications may not necessarily be as good as they could be at supporting staff through the changes and adaptations they need to make, with big risks, as Nicola touched on earlier.
2: I think... There are some companies, they put a lot of effort in change management and uh, put a lot of effort in adapt the processes in a proper way. But of course, there are companies they don't, don't put so much effort in. But I think there are some journalists as well, which are not willing to accept that they were, their way of they have to work now are changing because then they are frustrated they have less time for uh, they they can't do um, the the daily routine where they maybe are used to since 10 or 20 years then it comes to all this digital stuff it comes to all this additional work so they have a it's the demands on which they have to fulfill are getting bigger and bigger and um, so, of course, there is the the potential danger of that they are kind of too fractionate so that they can't concentrate on one thing in a proper way. So that's their fear. And then they sometimes are kind of, they are reluctant of, of uh, uh, for change. Yeah.
0: Social Spiders' David Floyd would like to see more collaboration in the local news industry. Although there are many startups and newer organisations which come together, he wonders if we'll ever see larger legacy news publishers come together with independent organisations, or whether that's a step too far. So,
6: we're part of the Independent Community News Network, ICNN. ICNN, at a formal level, brings together, I think it's about 120 local news publications across the UK, and yeah. You know, the, the level that they're at varies a lot. You know, some of those are individual people working in their spare time, sometimes entirely unpaid, doing a, a local news product for, for their local area. You know, we're probably at the slightly bigger end of the spectrum in terms of you know us, our, our twelve employees. Uh, but be, you know, there's quite a few in between that. So, um, ICNN have two sort of. Formal collaborations currently. There's the consortium, which is you know, involved with Google News Showcase, which has got, us, you know, uh, got I think, around 40 publications uh, signed up to that, uh, you know, with ICNN doing the collective management of the relationship with, with Google. And uh, then there's also a project called Ping, which has, has started recently. And that's effectively a sort of wire service for national and regional publishers you know for a monthly fee to have access to to content from from independent community publications which they could then uh use in their publications and that's sort of it's in a trial phase at the moment so you know if you're a regional publisher or a national publisher hearing this and you'd like to get involved do do contact um ping and sign up that's a trial of of that kind of model so i i think these kind of collaborations those sort of more formal collaborations are definitely worth trying and i think there's definitely something in them i think you know at a more individual level on a case-by-case basis there's lots of ways of collaborating with with other local publications of a of a similar mindset and and we we certainly have regular discussions with the other independent publishers in in london you know social streets and hamlets uh the greenwich wire and in Greenwich, uh, you know, you know, there's, there's a range of London-based publications operating at different different levels. I, I I think I mean one of the real challenges is advertising and how, as a as a, a relatively small group or as an individual publication, you mm. get access to you know, media buying agencies. Because once again, there's a situation where there's an anomaly which is not anyone you know, operating with negative intent, but, but there's a situation where if you're a media buying agency, it's easier to, to buy a bunch of ads through a corporate group which has hundreds of publications than it is yeah. to buy through individual publications. And if those individual publications have a much bigger circulation and readership than, than the, the group of, um, of hundreds... Uh, And so that's something that is an ongoing challenge. I mean, we're we're plugging away at that and having some success. We're we're getting there with with media buying agencies now, to a much greater extent than we were two or three years ago. So I think that does improve, I think, if you keep communicating. But there's something there, I think, where potentially some of the independents could work together on a a collective offer to to add buyers. But the challenge is always how are you going to, coordinate that and uh, someone's got to do it.
0: (laughs) We'll finish this episode by hearing from Benedicte D'Otray, Google's Head of News Partnerships for the UK, Ireland and Northern Europe. She's worked with numerous publishers of all shapes and sizes and shares some of her frustrations. And you know, my
2: bugbear, not being from the industry and working at a, a tech company, is the lack of collaboration. It just baffles me that local news publishers sometimes compete for the things that, you know, is not a key differentiator amongst themselves. And, and, you know, if they were to pull their resources together, then they would achieve more cost-efficiency rollout of meaningful and impactful resources.
0: That's all for this episode. Thank you so much to our guests for their input and to my co-host Peter Houston for the many hours he spent conducting these interviews. Parts one and two, looking at the big picture state of local news and finding resilient business models, are live now. They should be available just below this one in your podcast player. The final part of this series will be live next Wednesday looking at the tools and tech local news organisations are using to prepare for the future. A final thanks to the Google News Initiative who are supporting this series. They work with publishers and journalists to fight misinformation, share resources and build a diverse and innovative news ecosystem. Find out more about their programs, tools and resources at newsinitiative.withgoogle.com. We'll be back next Wednesday exploring tools for data and collaboration, tech investment challenges and, of course, AI. Until then, goodbye!